The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. The new season is approaching, and that means the return of our season preview series, where we take a look at all the teams in the Atlantic Division. It's been a few years, but I still have trouble calling it the Atlantic Division because this doesn't seem like Montreal should be in the Atlantic Division. But anyway, that's another story for another time. My name is Jared Book, and we are starting this off with a look at the Detroit Red Ring, well, Detroit Red Wings. Uh, almost fixed the R and the W there for a second. Joining me today is Jake Rivard. Jake, how are you doing? Doing well. Also hoping that we were not in the Atlantic Division either because it is a, going to be a bloodbath this year. <laughs> yeah, it's. I feel like the, the Detroit has a little bit higher expectations than Montreal does, but but I feel like any team that has some kind of playoff aspiration right now is just looking at up top and like, yeah, no. Maybe next year. Um, and, and it's funny because one of those teams is, is Ottawa, which is a team that really has high expectations um, compared yeah. to uh, Detroit and, and I guess Buffalo and to a certain extent. But yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out. And I was saying this a couple of days ago with, with people at Eyes on the Prize. I'm like, I'm happy that we get to watch this with zero expectations. Oh, yeah, where, you get to sit and take your time. You know? Yeah, um, we have no aspirations of maybe sneaking in. It's just kind of like, let's just see what fo- unfolds in front of us. And maybe uh, Florida collapses and we get a good first round pick um, out of <laughs> it. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're talking about the, the Red Wings. Uh, Jake, you're with Winging with Motown. You have a podcast, uh, 313 Hockey, uh, on Twitter. Um, and when it comes to the Red Wings, I guess what's the the mood like? Like, what are what are fans expect? Not not really even expectations, but just what's the mood like? Is it relaxed? Is it kind of like okay, we need to see a little bit more? Well, what's the mood like? I guess heading into the season. Well, I think things are really exciting out in Hockey Town. Um, I mean, we just we just had Mo Sider win the Calder, so we've got a Rookie of the Year. We've got a sixty point rookie entering his sophomore season in Lucas Raymond. You've got a bunch of prospects vying for roster spots and for the first time in what feels like forever, actual depth on the roster. There were major moves made this offseason. I think there were improvements on virtually every position. And even if they don't show up on the standings, at least every game is going to be at least pretty fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, having games fun to watch is is a mantra that uh, Canadians fans have preached a lot last year (laughs) because uh, it's one thing to lose and it's another thing to uh, have to watch really bad games and and fortunately that changed a little bit 
uh, when when Marte St. Louis took over. Uh, speaking of taking over, the, there's a new coach. Um, there is Jeff Blaschel uh, was let go after. It's weird to think that he was the only coach that Detroit has had since Mike Babcock, mm-hmm. because it feels for like forever ago that Mike Babcock was in Detroit, and there's only been one coach since. But but what a, does it kind of feel like? Uh, a fresh start like does that kind of add to the excitement a little bit i would say so yeah um i mean derek lalone who's now their head coach was an assistant coach with the tampa bay lightning for quite a while he was around during the eiserman regime he won two stanley cups with them and he and jeff blagel have essentially traded jobs jeff blagel is now an assistant coach with the tampa bay lightning um and now that lalone is here there seems to be just like a new exciting air Nobody's seen really what he can do in the regular NHL season yet. I mean, this is his first time as a full-time head coach, but I see this as a chance for a lot of players who have been, I guess you could say maligned over the last few years uh, to get a fresh start and to experience what it's like under a different style. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, again, coming from a, a team that made a, a coaching change last season, uh, it can make all the difference, especially when you have, uh, players who are maybe uh, not playing up to their potential or have plateaued a little bit. Um, it, it's definitely something that um, can can make a difference. I wanted to ask about, there's a lot of young players in, in Detroit, a lot of good young prospects. I, I want to focus a little bit on someone where Montreal fans are, it, it's kind of funny because the, the 20, 2018 draft, um was a a weird one um because Montreal uh had the choice between at, at third overall Philip Zadina he was not the third overall pick he was not the fourth overall pick which was Brady Kachuk which is the one that a lot of people remember and then he was not Barrett Heaton either uh Zadina Forgot about Barrett kind of... Heaton. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. and Zadina's kind of been um a guy who's, who's taking this time to get to uh, establish something in the NHL has, has the projection softened a bit? Like are, are there any expectations around him anymore? Um, obviously still young, but what's, what's the feeling around, around him? I think he might, Zadina might be one of the most, like, I guess you would say like he, he has very conflicting opinions around the wings fan base. Half of the fans believe that if you just put him in the right situation, he can succeed. And the other half believes he's probably, this is probably as good as he's going to get. I tend to fall somewhere a little bit in between where I think that he's still capable of succeeding, but I don't see that in a top line role where he was initially panning out to be in the draft. I see him as like a decent middle six guy. I don't know exactly what he's going to be doing, but I think that he and Jeff Blagel's coaching system just did not mesh at all. So I'm going in with a bit of optimism this season when it comes to Lalone's new system. Yeah, that that's coaching can make such a big difference uh, when it comes to young players who are establishing themselves in the NHL. Um, and and it, yeah, it, it it I tend to to not write off prospects, especially. I mean, he's still only what 22. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's still. Um, a a lot of road ahead of him uh in in that sense and i mean I, if you look at other players that have played similar styles to him he could just be a late bloomer mm-hmm. you've got a lot of very very talented players that took a long time to develop properly 
Uh, <laughs> Sean Couturier is a great example. Not saying that he's going to become a Sean mm-hmm. Couturier, but Sean Couturier took I don't know six or seven seasons before he really broke out. Yeah, exactly. And and also, I mean, Detroit's known for um, taking their time with with prospects. And, um, you know, a guy like Thomas Tatar was in the AHL for years before <laughs> becoming an NHL player and, and a pretty good one um, in, in that sense as well. It's, it's a weird, I'm looking at the roster. It's a, it's a weird mix of really young players who we don't really know what they are. Older established players who are kind of there to, to lead uh, by example. What what's when you look at the the, the roster, it, do you do you see kind of the the what's the biggest change from from the last few years? I guess like how is this team in terms of like projection different than than in last in, in the last few years? You talked about you know obviously Raymond and Cider who are you know young players who had really good rookie years, uh, but but how are they surrounded? How does that different? Is it is it kind of a has Eisenman really put his touch on the team yet, or, or is that still to come with, with prospects who are not yet? I there? am just like in awe in how Steve Eisenman is, has set <laughs> this team up. Because if you look at how the roster was structured a year, two years, even when he first got started three years ago, um, he has essentially set it up so that there are very few contracts that are long-term. So there's a lot of flexibility with the roster, which means I'm sure next year it'll be a totally different look than this year. Um, as far as like previous years change go, change went, I think there's been an upgrade at virtually every single position. I mean, now we have a second line center with Andrew Kopp. You've got two more top four defensemen in Ben Chirot and Ali Mata. You've got a new goaltender with Ville Husso. Um, every single season that Iserman has been here, he's added a key fixture to the roster whether it's like a Jacob Verana, even an Alex Nedeljkovic, he's he's always there and he's always got some sort of chess move that just blows my mind, like a 4D chess while everybody else is still making checkers moves. Yeah, it, it's it's um, it, it's fun. To, obviously, I, it's, it's a little bit different, but these two, Montreal is, is probably a few years behind the, Detroit in terms of the, the rebuild. And Eisenman has obviously Tampa as an example of, what his mindset can do. And Montreal doesn't necessarily have that in Kent Hughes, but Jeff Gordon, if you look at, you know, the Bruins and, and the Rangers uh, who, who had a lot of success with teams that he kind of built. So it's kind of, it's definitely a feeling that Montreal fans can relate to. And I, I, I get this feeling that like Detroit sports is kind of in a spot right now where, they're all kind of optimistic, right? You just had the the Tigers make a big change. Um, I wouldn't say optimistic with the Tigers, but um... well, Eisenman <laughs> was in charge of of the the new the new hire. Obviously, it's going to take mm-hmm. some time for that to to kind of you know check itself out. Oh, I definitely, mean, it, definitely. It's definitely new, but at least there's there's a a, a refresh in the air there. Uh, the Lions seem to have um, ter- relatively turned a corner um as well uh in in their kind of um i don't want to even say rebuild but <laughs> i guess they're 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 bad years so and but it seems like eiserman obviously he's a legend of the franchise how does that play into the patience i guess that fans have like is there is there like there, it's been a while since you guys made the playoffs it's you know eiserman's entering i think his fourth year right now is there patience that you can wait 
uh, a few more years until th- this team contends again? Like, how, how's the patience, I guess? Yeah, what, well, up? something that I always notice is that when it comes to people reporting on, like, Detroit sports specifically, there's a lot more patience and optimism, a genuine, like, excitement in the air. But when you get a lot of – there are a lot of national reporters that will come in <laughs> and often have, like, pretty pessimistic outlooks. Or they'll just wonder, like, why are these guys so patient? They haven't made the playoffs in this many <laughs> years. What's going on? Like, you notice this a lot with, like, uh, some reporters in The Athletic have been, like, very just perplexed by the idea that the wing that Wings fans are patient. Um, and the reason why I think we're patient, I mean, one, it's, it's Steve Eiserman. Like, duh, of course <laughs> you're going to be. Like, he has – I have only seen him make maybe one bad move since moving to Detroit. And – I mean, as as far as like, like take a look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. Take a look at how that team is stacked up. How that prospect pool has continued to deliver year after year. There are random guys like Braden Point and Kucherov who are taken, you know, in the third and second rounds respectively that have panned out far, far beyond expectations. There's, there's a lot to be very hopeful for, and I think that with like the air, I mean, the air in Hockey Town right now is, of course, still patience, but it's a lot of um, optimism. There's a lot of optimism in the air. And I think that will continue to be the trend until proven otherwise. Yeah. You, you mentioned guys like Point and Kucherov, and that's something that you, you look at the the Red Wings recent draft history, like last five years or so, it, it's quite top heavy in terms of first round prospects, second round prospects getting, <clears throat> getting NHL time. And that, Obviously, you expect those guys, the guys like Cider and and Raymond, to make an impact early on. Um, and then you have like that second tier of, of guys, like Jonathan Berggren, uh, who was second round pick in 2018, and then going into 2019, 2020, and then and more recently. How, who are the guys that are kind of in that second level? Like, is there is there concern? that they that these guys have, have taken a little bit longer that there's only the, these these first round picks or it, it, you do kind of have a good idea of what's what's coming up well i think i mean there, to to kind of counteract that point just a little bit there mm-hmm. are also a lot of um younger players now that are in the later rounds that have started to really yeah. um show their stuff so this preseason already we've got a very interesting battle happening Jonathan Bergeron, who was picked in the second round in, um, I don't know, 20, I think 2018, the same year as Zadina and Valeno, is fighting for a roster spot. He very well might make it, or he might go back to Grand Rapids and probably lead the AHL in scoring. (laughs) Um, You've got Elmer Soderblom, who is six foot eight, taken in the sixth round, a giant of a man who has made a big impression in Detroit. He very well might make the opening lineup. Gustav Lindstrom, who I believe is either a second or third round pick, um, has made the roster as well. He's a depth defenseman. So, I mean, on one hand, I guess I could see the the way that somebody might be a little wary of those late round picks, like taking their time. But on the other hand, like the draft uh, philosophy for the Red Wings over the last few years has been swinging for the fences. You know, we don't have the like superstar Austin Matthews, like Nate McKinnon type player. Mm-hmm. We have a series of very, very good players in the prospect pool. And in order to hopefully net one of those superstars without getting like a first overall pick or a top three pick, the only thing you can really do is pick those project picks with those elite potentials where you swing for the fences and just really hope that they pan out. 
Yeah, it kind of the thing I say about Montreal as well because Montreal is in that that kind of spot where they don't necessarily have those those superstar talents. Even when they did to get the first overall pick, it, there was no really superstar talent uh, available. But but what happens is if you have enough prospects, eventually some will succeed. Like if you have a lot of good prospects, you know you're going to hope that two or three or four of them end up good, and then you hope that one or two or three of them end up great. Um, and that's kind of how you that's the Tampa model, right? Mm-hmm. Where you guys, you get these guys where you you look at you know their roster in the Stanley Cup final, and you're like, how did this guy drop to 25th overall? Um, how did this guy drop to the third round? And and that's kind of just they keep finding these guys. They they trade Ryan McDonough, and they're probably going to find somebody else to replace them. And you know, they trade Andre. Pilat. They're going to pull they, some nobody. I mean, yeah. it's like Crosby <laughs> with the Pens. You know, like yeah. they pull this random guy out of the prospect pool, and he's like, suddenly, oh, you're like, who the hell is this Jake Gensel guy? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, you watch, um, you know, Laval had a, a really close series with Syracuse uh, in the AHL playoffs last year. And it's like this this team is filled, you know, the top six is guys that can just step into the NHL, but they just don't have to yet. <laughs> and and that's kind of the the, uh, the the feeling that you get around Detroit, uh, around Tampa and, and Detroit is, is kind of building on that as well. And, and you have... There's a lot of prospects in there. If you look down that list, and there's guys, you know, Sweden is well represented uh, again in in Detroit. But there's oh, yeah. uh, a lot of talent there, obviously, and it, it's kind of funny because the the lottery luck hasn't really shone on Detroit that that brightly. I mean, but but it worked out pretty well in in 2020 when when you end up getting uh, Lucas Raymond, mm-hmm. and what's the you know between cider and raymond and you still have guys like like larkin and bertuzzi who are you know on on the second half of their 20s is there a kind of a expectation that these uh the, the the contention window will kind of coexist between the two groups is that kind of the the expectation that by the end of you know by the time that raymond is you know 23 24 and Larkin Bertuzzi are, are and, you know Larkin obviously has a contract to, to come up, but when yeah, he yeah. gets into his thirties, that that there's going to be kind of this coexisting um, window where where that's where everything's going to come together. I've found that a lot of my philosophy with like players' primes has started to change. I'm starting to think that like the real prime of a player is you know late twenties, early thirties. I used to think it was like early to mid twenties. But now I'm thinking it's around that time because you still have the skill and the energy of your early 20s, but now you have the fundamentals of a veteran. So I'm thinking with with those kinds of players where you've got, uh, you know, a, a Cider and a Raymond just starting to really, really hit their stride. And Larkin, Bertuzzi, and a lot of those older guys like Jacob Verana who are, you know, picking up on those veteran fundamentals. Um, I think it'll mesh into a pretty cohesive group especially when you've got like younger guys like Marco Casper on the come up, Simon Edmondson, <laughs> um, you know, there there's, I, I think as far as readiness goes, there needs to be one more year of not making the playoffs before they really start pushing for it. And I think this year is that year. Yeah. It, it, it kind of, it, it seems like the, this team is, is really close and it kind of coexists well because, you know, you look at a year from now, you know who knows what what Tampa is going to be like in terms of another year down the road with with their veterans. Um, you have a lot of uncertainty around Toronto. 
especially if the playoffs don't go well for them. Um, a lot of guys on who are expiring contracts and management and who knows what can happen if, if they get another first round exit. Um, then you have Florida, which is a, a kind of weird team because they should still be good, but nobody really knows. And they, they're like, they're like, a, Florida is like a couple injuries away from being unrecognizable as an NHL team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they have a new coach and it just Florida strikes me as very weird. And again, not to bring it up again, but I'm very happy that Montreal has their, their first round pick because no kidding. (laughs) There's a lot like they're probably going to make the playoffs, but there's also the potential that things go really badly. And I mean, Barkov gets hurt. Uh, (laughs) Like, you know, you get a rough year of recovery from um, Aaron Eckblad. Yeah. I could see something like that happening. Yeah. And I mean, it's Boston's last year, I think, to make yeah, the playoffs. Exactly, yeah, but their their last dance written that's last rat dance written all over that. And then you have Ottawa, which is probably trying to contend this year, but probably not. And then you know, Buffalo is perpetually in that kind oh, of Buffalo. like okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but Buffalo's perpetually in that year, like, oh, they have to be good this year, or at least better. And it, it's um yeah, so it, it's just a it's gonna be a really interesting year a uh, couple years because in a couple years Montreal is going to be expecting to make the playoffs and Ottawa is going to be in that window Detroit's going to be in that window Buffalo is going to try and be in that window and so it's going to be this weird kind of I don't, I don't want to say changing of the guard necessarily but there is that potential where you know in a couple of years you're going to look at the the standings uh complete 180 of, of where they are now and it's just an interesting time because it, it seems like it seems like Detroit is building up for that that perfect time. I, it kind of reminds me of um, Tampa Bay in baseball, mm-hmm. where they were kind of building this thing up in the AL East, and then as soon as the Yankees and Red Sox took a step back, they're like, "Okay, this is our time to to kind of go up the middle," and and they just kind of stayed there, like around two thousand eight um, when they made the World Series, and then they kind of just kind of stayed there and, and built something sustainable. And I feel like that's kind of the changing in the guard. Like it's not going to be Tampa, Toronto, forever. <laughs> uh, atop those, uh, eventually there's going to be a, a, an opening, and, and Florida's kind of taking that a little bit. Last year, um, Boston. I mean, they they could be good. They have a lot of injury issues. So yeah, I, I I agree that you know this year is probably more of a transition year, and then next year is the year where they're going to put their foot on the gas. And and I'm and, not. Com- and I'm not complaining at all either because I think this year is uh, interesting in the sense that you can ice those rookies, you know, give them the chance mm-hmm. to really make an impact, see how the veterans mesh with them. I mean, we, we've signed a couple players on some pretty flexible deals and I have a pretty, Oh, sorry. I have a pretty scalding take coming up in regards to a certain depth forward that we signed last year and how I don't really see him part of the picture anymore. And I mean, you've, you've even got like Robbie Fabry who's um, injured and he's going to be coming back mid season. Like every time you look at this puzzle, that is this roster and you think you have it figured out another uh, wrench gets thrown into the picture. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because you know, Montreal is a team where there there's no expectations of, of being overly good, but you look at their forward picture and there's like, there's, there's 12 NHLers that are there. And it's just, it's it's uh, interesting to see how these players can be used in in different ways, and obviously you can trade players and um, down the road as well. And, and yeah, there's a lot of expiring contracts in that forward group, especially uh, that you can 
either use that to extend players and obviously guys like Larkin Bertuzzi, top line players, you'd want to probably keep those players, but then you can surround them with guys because you do have so much salary coming off as well. So it's, it's uh, interesting to look at Detroit and I kind of see like Montreal in two or three years where they're like just on the cusp of, of surrounding themselves with, with enough talent. And um, I, I respect it's funny to see Venture out there as well. I respect the fact that you guys completely like tore down a lot of your <laughs> fundamental pieces, but also still kept a couple guys here and there. So you could at least be competitive. Like I, I really don't like the angle that Chicago is going with. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this is a good opportunity where, I mean, come trade deadline, you have a Josh Anderson type and somebody's going to want to take a bite on that. I'm not crazy about that contract. It gives <laughs> me Justin Abdelkader vibes, but like somebody might go for it. Who knows? Yeah, it's funny because Kent Hughes keeps saying, like, there's teams that are interested. And everyone in Montreal is like, if 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 they get a good offer, you know, you should take it. Um, take it <laughs> and, but, you know, I have nothing against Josh Andrews. You know, he's probably the, probably one of the least, least likely players to be traded just because of that term. Um, and he's been pretty adamant that he doesn't want to retain long term, things like that. And they have cap issues that he can't really retain anyway. But, yeah, guys like Jonathan Drouin, Sean Monahan, Evgeny Dadanov, like they they got a first round pick with Monahan, and they can flip Monahan for another draft pick. Yeah, safety like, has a resurgence, line. you know. Like yeah. it's entirely possible. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of it's interesting to see how it how they're you know it, it's after years of of Mark Bergevin where you couldn't really see what the plan was. It's refreshing to see an actual plan, and I guess it's kind of similar from. Ken Holland, especially at the end, to Steve Eisenman. I think it's the same kind of vibe where it's like, all right, we we that he, he this isn't working anymore. We need a change um, to something that's completely different and refreshing and and seems to be working. And yeah, it's um, it, it's it's gonna be very interesting to watch these two teams because uh, along with Ottawa and and potentially Buffalo, it's. The Atlantic is not getting any easier. No, it's not. <laughs> it's it's going to be very very interesting to, to to watch that. So, you 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 kind of teased it a little bit uh, earlier, but what are kind of things that that people aren't talking about with the Red Wings that that you know fans that are closer to the team, people around the team, have a better um, understanding of? There's a lot of depth. I mean, there there's a lot more than you would think. You've got a top line of you know Tyler Bertuzzi, Dylan Larkin, Lucas Raymond a second line of Jacob Verana, David Perron, and Andrew Kopp, your third line of like a dominant Kubalik, Michael Rasmussen, and Pia Suter. And then when you get down to the fourth line, I mean, there's Philip Zadina, Adam Ernie, Joe Valeno, and a whole handful of other forwards that could still make the roster. Every single, like I was saying, every single time you think you have this roster figured out, <laughs> there's just another problem thrown in or another like head scratcher where you're like, okay, what do I do about this guy like how do i where does he fit in the picture <laughs> so i think you're going to inevitably either see a name thrown on waivers or you're going to see a trade and the guy i would keep an eye on is pia Suter. i think he's a perfectly serviceable third line forward but or a third line center but if michael rasmussen keeps playing at the level that he does i don't really know if throwing pia Suter on the fourth line is a good idea especially if you have a guy like joe valeno who has really grown into his own so I don't know. There's there's a lot of potential for mixing and matching 
with the roster. There are guys that could move up and down. Um, and as far as problems go with a roster, I think this is a pretty good problem to have. Yeah, and you don't have many guys. The, the difference with, with, you know, there's not that many guys who are waiver exempt either. So if guys are out of the picture, um, that that's definitely, you know, names that you'll you'll potentially see on, on waivers as well. And, and then yeah, there's he, always like, you know, the fine line of, mm-hmm. do I keep this guy in the AHL where he can have top line minutes or has he played too good for the AHL and you need to make a room for him on the roster? Like, it's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, it's like you say, a good problem to have, um, for sure. It, and and that's kind of where you know Montreal has a lot of options at, at forward as well. Like there's there, there's ways that you can try and place your Slavkovsky on the roster, and it's like, okay, well, I guess that means Mike Hoffman is set, like off the roster. Like it, there's there's a lot of uh, Montreal's a different situation because a lot of those guys are locked into to contracts, and Detroit's in you know a lot of those guys are much younger. All of them are under thirty. Uh, except for David Perron, so it's it's a it's a little bit different situation, but similar in a sense where the the AHL team is going <laughs> to be the beneficiaries of, of what's going on uh, in, in the NHL. I do not envy any team that has to play against Laval <laughs> this year. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be a very interesting. I mean, Laval is going to be very. It's it's weird because they, they've always been this team of like older veterans and you know kind of like tweener cleaner players um this year it's gonna be a lot of young prospects and uh, i am not i'm not 100 sold that slavkovsky is gonna start in the nhl if he starts in the ahl that's gonna be a, a little a bit of a fun uh fun start very um, discourse online i'm sure people will be yeah uh, very they'll, they'll take be it very, very normally <laughs> yeah they'll be very level-headed about everything and especially if he doesn't score five goals in his first game and you know, surely there like won't that. be an overreaction yeah no it, yeah it's uh it, the the uh the that, that's the one thing about going against the conventional wisdom or even if you did go to conventional wisdom if it was reversed and Slavkovsky was playing really well in seattle or new jersey or whatever uh people are like oh you should have taken him like there's no way to win unless you end up with the best player mm-hmm. um and and as Brian Burke once said, uh, the difference between Montreal and Toronto is that in Montreal you're wrong, just as loud, but in two languages. Um, and <laughs> uh, that's that's a quote that's that's stuck with me uh, for for a while. Um, Venturot is kind of it kind of raised eyebrows a little bit when he was signed by Detroit because they did seem like a team that was a little bit a few years away. And what's interesting is that when he signed Montreal. It was kind of a team that was, seemed like a couple of years away, um, and, and I guess is the expectation there is that he's going to be someone to kind of lean on um, for for what is a, a pretty pretty young uh, decor when you look at guys like Koronik and Insider and especially. So if you caught any of the Wings games over the last uh, couple of years, a big problem that we had was that um, a lot of the star forwards and a lot of the star younger players would consistently get bullied by some of the tough guys on the other teams in fact in our home opener last season dylan larkin got suspended a game for defending um a couple of the rookie kids after actually he got hit pretty dirty by um matthew joseph i think Mm -hmm. that's the guy's name yeah yeah he got he got a pretty dirty hit from matthew joseph and he turned around and defended himself and got suspended for it um so i think sharat was one of the main reasons sharat was signed so that was so that guys like Larkin or even Anthony Mantha in the past when he'd get his hand broken every time he'd get into a fight, (laughs) 
um, wouldn't have to do that. So I think Sherratt's role is at once a good companion, a good tough guy companion for Mo Sider and also a bodyguard for some of the more fragile players. He's a tough yeah. guy. Um, I mean, as you guys know firsthand, he hits hard and he yeah. uh, lets people have it when they need to, when they deserve it. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's funny because he also has a history of breaking his hand in fights. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at least it's not, you know, at least it's not Anthony Mantha. Um, um, and I mean, it, right? like, like another, another thing that I keep in mind too, is like last year, Danny DeKaiser was <laughs> Mo Sider's partner and all love to Danny DeKaiser, but like the guy had a back injury and just never really quite recovered from it. So having somebody who can, you know, move at at least a, solid pace is going to be an upgrade for for cider yeah and, and i think that that ben Chirot, it, it was put in a in a bad situation in in montreal because he didn't have shea weber anymore last year uh and jeff petrie was not playing very well at the start of the season and no one was playing well at the start no. of the season and, and there, there was a penalty for that and then he gets traded to florida and the expectation was that he was gonna, you know, be one of their their top defensemen and, and kind of play with guys there. And it's just it, it never really seemed like a a fit there. And, and I feel like if the standard for Red Wings fans is Danny DeKaiser, the men's rots gonna look really good. Yeah. <laughs> by by comparison, and 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 it's all about expectations. Um, and, and I think that that's you know he, he's not the the most swift of foot, but you know, if the, the game plan is to let Mo Sider be Mo Sider and Ben Schrott just kind of sit around and, and stay there, then that, that'll work. <laughs> it, it, you know, the, the issue with, with uh, Sherratt and Weber is that there was not really anybody to kind of move the puck. And with, when you play with Mo Sider, you don't really have that issue. Um, especially when you have the kind of forwards that they'll likely play with as well. So yeah, it's going to be, you know the the numbers might not look pretty, but if you're if you need someone for for toughness, if you need someone to just kind of let Mo Sider be Mo Sider, then that Ventura is gonna is gonna fit in there uh, at least for the first couple of years. I don't know how it's gonna. I don't know if you necessarily want Mo Sider next yeah. to Ventura in two two years. So that, but that's, that's when you, that's when you bring other guys in. <laughs> and it's interesting that you bring that up because a lot of people were like scoffing at the contract for Ventura. Uh, and I mean, on paper, sure, I can completely understand that and empathize with it. But as the cap continues to raise and mm-hmm. as the team moves closer to contending, they can push down a guy like Sherratt without having to worry about him taking on such a big role in the lineup. Sure, he's going to be older years down the road, but that just means he doesn't have to do as much. Yeah, it, exactly. Off. And, and look, it, if it's not like it's not like Detroit traded a first round pick for Ben Chirot, um, like Florida did. Um, yeah. not, but you know it, it, that I mean they traded a first round pick for like you know a month or two of, of Ben Chirot, which which makes things even worse. But uh, in terms of you know, there's no cap issues really in in Detroit, especially if it starts going up in a, in a year or so. Um, you know that there are free agents to sign. And I, I guess that's where I'll go next. I mean, you, you look at you look at the the cat friendly page, and you see Dylan Larkin UFA, Tyler Bertuzzi UFA. Uh, is there concern about that in Detroit, or is it just a matter of it'll get done when it needs to get done? So I, I'll start with Larkin. 
Um, Larkin said in pretty much every interview that he wants to be a Red Wing for life. You know, this is his team, yada, yada, yada. I, he's I'm from not the area as well, right? He's, he's from the area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he grew up in Waterford, which is a suburb about probably 30 to 45 yeah. minutes out of Detroit. So, you know, hometown boy, he's going to be around for a long time. And I think that there's not really much of a concern on that end. They're going to get a deal done when they get it done. How much it is versus how long it is is going to be the big question. Yeah. As far as Tyler Bertuzzi goes, there are two schools of thought. Last year, a large contingent of the team or of the fan base wanted him traded, while another half thought he was a pivotal piece of this team. I tend to lend myself to the idea that if he's going to be a piece of this team, he needs to be a middle six guy more so than the top line guy. He's a 30 goal guy. He's a good energy guy. He's the exact kind of player you want in the playoffs. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that contract shakes out and how much it would be. Um, But I I guess I'm a little less concerned. I think it it, it would just have to depend on um, it would have to depend on how the the roster is going to shake out for the rest of this season. Yeah, and I guess that there's there's the, always the opportunity where, you know, look, look if you're looking at a Tampa school of thought, because that's that's where I have been, obviously, um, cut his teeth as, as a GM, they have a history of, of trading guys where they might be overpaid for the roles they want them to play in Tampa, um, but they can get pretty good return for them um, in, in a trade. So I guess that's kind of a, a route you could go down as well, where, you know, if, Tyler Bertuzzi wants first line money, and Detroit doesn't necessarily see him as a first line player. You can kind of trade him to somebody who might want to pay him that money and recoup the assets that a first line player can get um, for, for that kind of thing as well. So I guess that's an option um, if you know there is kind of like that plateau and that kind of discrepancy. Um, but but you know that's that's something that is um, you know uh, just an option I guess if. if it's a, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, exactly. Flexibility, like you mentioned before, flexibility, right? It, it allows you to have different options. We all love good problems to have, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. It's a lot better than saying, hey, where are we going to find somebody to play these minutes? Or how are we going to get rid of this contract? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake, um, is there anything else you want to add about, about the Red Wings um, um, I don't really have anything else to, to ask at this point. Yeah, I mean, if if you're just looking to be, if you're just a fan of hockey and you're just looking for a team to watch <laughs> or like a game on, I mean, I don't think there's really going to be any boring games this season. If I'm wrong, though, uh, don't blame me. Blame the team. <laughs> I, I'm usually right about these things. <laughs> if, if, if there's, you know, well, look, if there's going to be boring games to watch, it's going to be the eight times they play Montreal because um, that's just how things work. I, I still have I still have flashbacks. I don't remember what year it was. I just remember it was, a. I think it was Martin Luther King Day. It was an afternoon game. And it was the most boring game of hockey I've ever watched in my life. And I, I think it ended probably one nothing in regulation. Or maybe even went to overtime or shoot. I don't remember. I just remember it being the worst game of my life um, that I remember seeing. It, it's, it's etched in my mind. I remember it was an afternoon game. I remember it was against Detroit. And it was just awful, awful. And um, yeah. It, hopefully the two the games between the two teams improve and I, and I think with all the young talent that's entering both uh organizations it's uh it's going to come sooner rather than later yeah i'm hoping so too especially because i'm going to be at that home opener in a couple of weeks yeah it'll be a lot of fun but yeah uh thank you for taking the time 
Again, uh, Jake Rivard, he is with Wing It Motown uh, at SB Nation. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Rivard, R-I-V-A-R-D-N-H-L. And he also has a podcast at 313Hockey. Uh, thanks for, for taking the time to talk with us. Hey, much appreciated. Enjoy Thank the you season. Hey, you too. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.